It's my Bible. It is the Word of God and the will of God for my life. I am who the Word says I am. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. I'm where the Word says I am. I'm seated right now in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in the place of authority, dominion, and power. All the blessings of Abraham, they are mine, and I can do what the Word says I can do. I can do all things through Christ who gives me the strength. Today my mind is alert. My spirit is receptive as I'm taught the Word of God. My life is changed for the better, and I will never be the same again. Amen. May be seated. And if you would, as you're being seated, turn your Bible to the Gospel of John, John chapter 9. Over the past few days, Emily would, she's our youngest, she'd ask about her mother, and I'd say, oh, she'll, she'll be back in a few days, or she'll be back Sunday, or today I said, she'll be back in just a little bit later today, and then I'd say, how would you like another donut? And of course, that, that worked out just well, amen? We have been in a series on Sunday mornings entitled Miracles of the New Testament, walking through, studying these miracles to learn how that we can see our needs met and how we can walk in God's best and God's provision in every area of life. Oral Roberts used to say that salvation is not just spiritual, it extends to the entirety of our lives, it extends to your soul, your mind, your will and emotions, it extends to your physical body which includes your health and well-being, it extends to our material needs. And so salvation includes the totality of our lives. And as we walk through this series, we're not just dealing with miracles that have to do with the needing of needs. We're dealing with miracles that have to do with the meeting of physical needs. And we ought to study the Word of God and lift up our eyes to see and to walk in God's best. And you can help us by being mindful of those among us that are fighting the good fight of faith. When I think of anyone in our midst, part of the family of Faith Christian Center, who's fighting the good fight of faith, I thank our Heavenly Father that He is quickening and strengthening their physical mortal body. I thank our Heavenly Father that they have been healed by the stripes of Jesus. I thank our Heavenly Father that they are getting better, they are improving. They are making progress, they're winning the fight of faith, and they're obtaining the victory, even if it's just step by step or little by little. And we dealt with that last Sunday that we can get discouraged because something doesn't happen by 3 p.m. today, or we can get discouraged because something doesn't happen by 9 a.m. tomorrow or by 5 p.m. Friday, but if you're making progress, you're making progress. If you're getting better, you're getting better. If you're chipping away at that debt, praise God, you're chipping away at it, amen? So celebrate, not just the big victories, but celebrate every step that's a victory along the way. John 9, beginning in verse 1, as Jesus went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now they asked that question because based on what rabbis were teaching at the time, that was a common belief, a common assumption. 
But just because people believe something doesn't make it so. Just because people assume something doesn't make it so. Rabbi Hussein, this man or his parents, that he was born blind. Biblically, all sickness and every physical malady goes back to the fall, to Adam's sin. And because of Adam's sin, the curse entered into the world. Because of Adam's sin, the curse, which is sin, sickness, poverty, and death, entered into the world. That's the curse. But praise God, in Christ Jesus, we have been redeemed from the curse. And you can study that in Galatians chapter 3. You might say, well, Austin, what, what all does that include? Well, it includes that the fact that in Christ we're redeemed from sin, we're redeemed from sickness, we're redeemed from poverty, and yes, we're redeemed from death. And even though if he tarries and this body wears out and we step into eternity, as believers, we have the victory over death. Because in Christ, we go to be with him. We don't go to the place of eternal torment and suffering separated from God. So we've been redeemed from the curse. And I would challenge you sometime to study and read Deuteronomy chapter 28. Now the first part of Deuteronomy chapter 28 is part of my prayer time. I thank you, Heavenly Father. I'm blessed going in and blessed going out. But two-thirds of Deuteronomy chapter 28 deals with the curse and the curse of the law. You might say, what all has Christ redeemed us from? Well, sometime you need to read all of Deuteronomy 28 to find out all the things that we have been redeemed from in Christ. And you read, as an example, Deuteronomy chapter 28, you'll find out that part of the curse are tumors. Well, Christ has redeemed us from the curse. So once you, from the word of God, see what is of God, and what is not of God, then you can begin to fight the good fight of faith. If you think something that is bad may be God, how can you pray? How can you believe God? How can you fight the good fight of faith? So Jesus has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Now in this world, which is sinful and fallen, people can face challenges simply because we live in a sinful, fallen world. I always think of the children that are born in Flint, Michigan. Many suffer terribly in their bodies and suffer terrible health challenges. But it's not because those little babies sinned or their parents sinned. It is because of the curse and it is because of sinful man, corrupt government officials who don't do what they need to do to fix the water supply. But think about how terrible it would be to say, well, they're those little children suffer in their bodies because they sinned or their parents sinned. And we might say, well, they ought, the parents ought to move, but not everybody has the ability to move. And so again, we see how hurtful and dangerous these type of things can be. Now, I'm an honest minister of the gospel. We can also open the door to trouble in our lives by our own conduct. For instance, the past two weeks, it's been in the news, that in Houston, Texas, there has been a dramatic increase in syphilis. So people can do things to open the door. As Americans, many Americans face health challenges simply because of overeating, which yes, it is a sin. So again, we can open the door. The curse is at work in the world, but in our lives, we can also open the door and bring trouble on ourselves. 
But praise God for what the Word of God says. Even when we have opened the door, even when we have brought trouble on ourselves, the Bible says in Psalms that he sent his Word and healed us and delivered us from what? From our destructions. So praise God for his grace and mercy. And praise God for his goodness. And you might say, well, Austin, I, I've done something and I, I've caused some trouble. Ask the Lord's forgiveness. Confess it. Repent of it. Change. Then stand on the word of God. He sends his word and he heals us and he delivers us from all of our destructions. We have to be careful here. Just because someone faces a terrible challenge does not necessarily mean that they sinned or their parents sinned. But that's what the religious leaders of Jesus' day believed and taught. And they treated people accordingly. Verse 1, as Jesus went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. Now, religion would have us believe that being sick brings glory to God. But that's not what we see here in John chapter 9. But this is one of the ways in which what Jesus says here is, is twisted and distorted and, and out there amongst believers, sometimes you'll hear it. I call it Christianese. It sounds biblical, but it's not. You know, Christianese, never heard that term. Well, well, I, I'm going through this, but the Lord, he's... He's teaching me something and it's terrible and it, it's awful, but it, and, and me going through this and me, me suffering with this, I'm bringing glory to God. But I, I would encourage you to look carefully at this passage today. That's religion and it's wrong. And it's not what we see in this passage. Jesus said this happened that the work of God might be displayed in his life. What brings glory to God and glory to Jesus is healing. It is people getting saved, people getting set free, people getting healed. Verse 4, as long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. These are the days we're living in now. We've got to be busy about telling everyone we know that Jesus is the answer. Because the days are getting shorter and night is coming when no one can work. Verse 5, while I am in this world, I am the light of the world. Having said this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Verse 7, go, he told him. Wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home saying. And I love that. He went, he washed, he came home sing. And once again, as we've seen the last few weeks, Jesus does an unusual thing. And someone is healed in an unusual way. We saw this when Jesus healed the deaf and mute man in Mark 7. And again last Sunday in Mark 8, when Jesus healed a man who was blind at Bethsaida. Here in John 9, Jesus spits on the ground, makes some mud with saliva. He puts it on the man's eyes and he says, go and wash in the pool of Siloam. And I love what John writes. He, he went, he washed, he came home sing. He went, he washed, he came home sing. We can get it in our minds that getting the answer, getting the victory 
is hard. But if we would just do what the Lord says, we get the victory. If we would just do what the Lord says, we'd get the provision. If we would just do what the Lord says, we, we would break through that wall or we would see the mountain move out of our way. He went, he washed, he came home sing. Now again, the last few Sundays as we've seen Jesus minister and do some unusual things, Pastor and I have pointed out in both services that Jesus did what he did and ministered as he ministered as led by the Holy Spirit. During the worship time, we anoint people with oil. We see that in the Old Testament and the New Testament. You might wonder, Austin, on a Sunday, are you going to bring a bucket of mud and put mud on people? No. And I, I don't think the Lord is going to lead me to do that. But we have the benefit of the entirety of God's word. And we see later in the passage, this blind man who was healed, he had some knowledge. But again, he, he didn't know all that we know. So think about how crazy this is. Jesus spits, he makes some mud, puts it on his eyes and says, go and wash. But then he got the miracle. It says he came home saying. But think about how many people don't take action on the word of God on the most simple and easy things. But see, if we would just obey, if we would just do what the word says and obey, if we would just follow the leading of the Holy Spirit and obey, if we would just do what God says, do and obey, we get the answer. We get the victory. I love what John writes. He went, he washed, he came home sing. And you might say, Austin, it can't be that simple. It is, because that's faith. Faith takes action on the word of God. Faith takes God at his word. He went, he washed, he came home sing. Verse 1 as Jesus went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. And again, that word might is important. Jesus said might, why? Because this man had to do something. Jesus put some mud on his eyes. He said, go and wash. He told him where to wash. What if he had washed somewhere else? What if he had not gone? What if he had not washed? What if he had gone to a different place other than the pool of Siloam to wash? He would not have received his miracle. This happened that the work of God might be displayed in his life. Sometimes during offerings, I'll give you a verse from 2 Corinthians chapter 8, that we, Christ did all that he did, that we through his poverty might be made rich. Why might? We have to do something. We have to take action. We have a part to play. We have to obey God. This man was healed, but he was healed because he did what Jesus said do. Remember John 10 and verse 10. Jesus said, the thief cometh but for to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. That is the dividing line of the Bible. If it's stealing, if it's killing, if it's destroying, that's the enemy. And yet how many ministers blame stealing, killing, and destroying on God? Well, oh, the Lord's teaching somebody something. You know, they're facing some terrible sickness in their body, but God, God, you know, and it could be a child, a child facing some terrible infirmity in their body. Well, that, that's the Lord, and he's, 
He's teaching them something and he's bringing glory to himself. You know, the past few days while Jessica's been gone, I've, I've been responsible for the kids and making sure everybody's at the right place at the right time and, and dressed properly and fed. And they've had more than three meals a day. I'm losing track of how many times they've eaten since she's, she's been gone. But what kind of father would I be if I did something or injected them with something to make them sick, to make them sick with something like cancer to teach them something? Would that bring glory to me? No. And if the authorities found out, they would come and they would put me in handcuffs and they would take me away. And yet people say terrible, evil things like that about Father God, who is good and who is wonderful, and he wants us to be saved. He wants us to be healed. He wants us to be well. He doesn't want us to struggle. He doesn't want us to be in need. He doesn't want us to be in lack. This happened that the work of God might be displayed. He wants his work to be displayed in our lives. But what's the hindrance? Is it God? Is it the Lord Jesus Christ? Is it the Holy Spirit? Or is it us? So we have to bring ourselves to do what this man did, to obey. Look at the language of Jesus. This, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened that the work of God might be displayed in his life. So in this situation, being born blind, which is terrible, and his blindness, it was not the result of this man or his parents' sin. Now again, we can open the door to trouble. And no, we can't blame everything on God, and we can't blame everything on the devil. Remember the man who had been an invalid for 38 years, and he had been healed at the pool of Bethesda. But then later, the Bible says, Jesus saw him later at the temple. And he said, see, you are well again, which I'm so intrigued by that. See, you are well again, stop sinning, or something worse may happen to you. Now, John doesn't tell us how was the man sinning at the, the temple. Was he taking advantage of someone? Was he ripping someone off? Was he sinning with his mouth? Bible doesn't tell us. But Jesus said, see, you are well again. Stop sinning, or something worse may, open, may happen to you. So we can open the door. Tell your neighbor, say, we can open the door. Tell your other neighbor, say, we can open the door. I give this example to my ninth and 10th grade Bible students all the time. You know, if after church, if I, if I get in the car and go 100 miles an hour on 287, I'm going to get a ticket. And then if when the, the lights come on and the officer pulls me over, if I wait till he gets to the side, ask for license and registration, if I, if I smile real big and then peel out and drive off down the highway, not only am I getting a ticket, I'm going to jail. That has nothing to do with the devil. That has nothing to do with God. It has nothing to do with the will of God. So you got to take all of that Christianese or religious talk, and you got to put it in the garbage or the shredder or wherever it goes, and go to the Word of God and believe God and talk and act according to His Word. His being blind was not the result of his or his parents' sin. Further, if it had been God's will for this man to be blind or for him to remain blind, Jesus would have left him blind. 
but he didn't. Jesus did not leave the man blind. He healed the man, and thus Jesus revealed the glory of God. So it is not sickness that reveals the glory of God. It is healing that reveals the glory of God. It is not poverty or lack or not enough that reveals the glory of God. It is plenty. It is more than enough. It's the need being met. It's plenty left over. That reveals the glory of God. Verse 4, as long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. We need to all be busy about the Lord's work, telling everyone we know Jesus is the answer. This moral insanity out here, Jesus is the answer. All of this corruption, Jesus is the answer. All of this evil everywhere we turn, Jesus is the answer. And it's so crazy out there, Jesus is the answer. He is the only answer. And that's what we ought to be telling everyone we know. And when, you're, when you live that way and take care of God's business, you can know that it'll take care of your business. Night is coming when no one can work. Number one, Jesus said it. Verse six, having said this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes, go, wash in the pool of Siloam. You know, when the Old Testament prophet told the commander of the Syrian army what river to wash it, it was the Jordan River, it was a river with dirty water. He was angry, he was offended. But a servant girl talked some sense into him. What if this man had gone to wash somewhere different? See, see we often wanna do what we wanna do. That's not where the power is. That's not where the victory is. That's not where the answer is. It is in doing what Jesus says. It is in doing what the Bible says. Go, wash in the pool of Siloam. And then Jesus, he spits. He makes some mud with his saliva. Go, wash. It seems crazy. The man was born blind. He's been blind his entire life. How can some spit and mud and then washing it off fix this problem. It's crazy, but it's Jesus. And the key is in doing what Jesus says. The key is in doing what the word says. And that's why we quote what the Bible says about faith. Faith is not going by what our mind tells us. Faith is not going by what our senses tell us. Faith is walking by the word of God not by sight, not by circumstances, and not by our senses. Too many wait their whole life for a miracle or their ship to come in or for someone else to do something to make their life better. Now, I won't ask for a show of hands, but think about how many people out there in the world, they're waiting for someone to die so their life will get better. Well, if aunt so-and-so would just kick the bucket, that would solve all my problems. How foolish. She could outlive you 10 times. Faith is not hope. Hope is not faith. Faith takes action now to change your life for the better. Faith takes action now to change whatever area it is, whatever the circumstances are. Faith takes action now to change your life for the better. Too many people mistake faith for hope and hope for faith. 
faith, the Bible says it is the substance of things hoped for. So yes, we have our hopes, but faith is more than hope. Faith takes action now to see those hopes become a reality. So don't just sit there. Do something. Tell your neighbor, say, do something. Tell your other neighbor, say, say, do something. And this is so important because it is our taking action that releases the power of God. It is our taking action that releases the blessing of God. It is our taking action that releases the abundance and the provision and the healing power of God. We are, if you're born again, you're a son or daughter of Almighty God. Stop waiting on someone else to do something. Take action in faith to provoke, to cause your own miracle. You can, we all have vehicles. Your vehicle, it might have a light on the dashboard that a tire needs to be checked, that the oil needs to be changed. You can wake up tomorrow and say, man, I, I, I really wish that light would go away. I really wish that problem would be taken care of. Then a week goes by and two weeks goes by and you come to church and you're oh so sad. Hey, hey how's it going? And you, you, don't, you don't say you're the blessed Lord. You, Austin, it's terrible. Life is so hard. Life is so, so difficult. There, there's this light and I've been praying for it to go away, and I've been confessing for it to go away, and I've been fasting for it to go away, but that, that light is still on. And I'm just sad, and I, I'm depressed about it. I even, I even posted on Facebook about it, and that, that light still didn't go away. You gotta get in the car and drive down the road to the service place and have them do what needs to be done. Faith takes action now to change your life for the better. Faith is taking action on the word of God. You gotta do something and you can provoke your own miracle. And that's what the man did. He did it. Number two, he did it. So Jesus spit on the ground and made some mud with saliva and put it on the man's eyes. Go wash in the pool of Siloam. And the man did it. The Bible says in verse seven, he went and washed and came home sing. He went, he washed, he came home sing. He went, he washed, and he saw. He went, he washed, and he, he saw. If you would just do what the word says, you would have the answer. If you would just do what Jesus says, you would have the victory. If you would just do what the Holy Spirit has been leading you to do, you would have the breakthrough and the answer you've been believing God for. He went, he washed, and he came home saying, your actions will defeat you or your actions will bring about the victory. Inaction will hinder you from receiving, but action makes all things possible. Number three, the blind man received his miracle. He went, he washed, he came home sing. So Jesus said it, the man did what Jesus said, and then he received his miracle. He went, he washed, he came home sing. And then he told it. And he didn't just tell it to a bunch of people that didn't know anything about God. He told it to the religious leaders. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. But he insisted, I am the man. So he told it. And then this is what leads people to the Lord. Not, not, not saying religious things like, well, this terrible thing is going on, but the, the Lord is teaching me a lesson and he's bringing glory to himself. Set all that junk aside. 
What, what draws people is the goodness of God. The Apostle Paul wrote in Romans, didn't bring the reference that it is the goodness of God that leads people to repentance. So what, what draws people to the Lord is, you know, I, I was lost and he, he saved me. I, I was sick in my body or a, a child was sick in her body, but the Lord healed me. The Lord healed her and, and, and I had nothing. Couldn't make it. But I began living and putting God first and living and handling my money the way the Bible teaches. And he has blessed me. He has increased me. That's what draws people to the Lord. It is the goodness of God that leads men and women to repentance. So we ought to be telling it. And we ought not be afraid to tell it. And you might say, well, Austin, I, I told it and someone got upset. Yeah, not everyone will believe. Our job's not to make everyone believe. Our job is simply to tell it and to tell it, and to tell it, and so-and-so doesn't want to hear it anymore, tell somebody else. Our job is to tell it. Now, we dealt with the miracle. Let's deal with the controversy before we conclude. Verse 8, neighbors were asking, isn't this the same man? He said, I'm the man. Verse 10, how then were your eyes open? They demanded. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash and I went and I washed and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked him. I don't know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes and I washed and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God for he does not keep the Sabbath. And again, if, if you go to the Old Testament and you read the law, you, you'll, you'll not find one thing in the law of Moses that would lead you to believe that it, it is wrong to pray with someone or it is wrong for Jesus to do what he did in healing the sick. Yes, even on the Sabbath. In Moses' day, they were an agrarian society. They did physical, manual labor for their living. And they were to have a day of rest and a day of worship. And then, because of what Christ did and the resurrection being on a Sunday, we, we gather on Sundays and we have a day of worship and a day of rest and a day of honoring the Lord and putting him first. But if you, in the Bible reading, read the law of Moses, you'll not find one thing that would lead you to believe that Jesus was doing anything to violate the Sabbath. See, they were, they were not living by God's rules. They were living by rules man had made up. Further, healing, it is a spiritual activity. And healing is a part of the atonement. And healing is proof that Jesus is the Messiah, the one who was, who is, and who is to come. And he was demonstrating that fact. But again, they were making this controversy about the day on which he had been healed. Who cares? He was born blind, but then he could see. Their response ought to be, praise God. And they should have become followers of Jesus. That's not what they did. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God. He does not keep the Sabbath. Again, a lie. Wrong. Wrong report. Just because someone says something doesn't make it true. 
Others asked, how can a sinner do such miraculous signs? And they were divided. Finally, they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about it? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, he is a prophet. And pastor pointed out that at the very least, these doubting, skeptical religious leaders, when they saw the miracles, they should have at least acknowledged that Jesus was a prophet at the level of Elijah or Elisha. But they weren't even willing to do that. The man replied, he is a prophet. The Jews still did not believe that he had been blind and he had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son, they asked. Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that he can now see? We know he is our son and we know he was born blind, but how he can see now or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews. For already the Jews had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, the one who was, who is, who is to come, that anyone who acknowledged that he was the Christ would be put out of the synagogue. We would say it this way, they couldn't come to church anymore. And in their day, in their world, in the first century, their religious community was everything. I'm going to get sidetracked here. But in the culture we live in today, people are putting all kinds of things first other than God. That aside, in their day, their day of worship, their day of gathering in the synagogue, their day of religious community, it was everything. But they had threatened the people that anyone who acknowledged Jesus was the Christ would be put out of the synagogue. That is why his parents said, he's of age, ask him. A second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, what wisdom. Whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. And that's how we tell it. I was lost, but now I'm found. I was sick, but now I'm well. I was in need, but now I have plenty. It is the, the goodness of God that draws men and women to repentance. And so if we would tell the good, it would draw. If we would tell the blessing, it would draw. It is the goodness of God that leads men and women to repentance. I was blind, but now I see. They asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I have told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? They hurled insults at him and said, you are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. Jesus said elsewhere that, that they, may, they did not do, they said they were followers of Moses, but they did not do what he taught. They changed what Moses taught to suit themselves. They were hypocrites. And I love what Jesus says later. Before Abraham was, I am. And then they wanted to put him to death. Said they're followers of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses as for this fellow. We don't know where he comes from. See, they don't even know what's coming. There'll come a moment where Jesus goes up on the mountain, the three closest disciples, and he is transfigured. And who appears to talk to the Lord Jesus Christ before he undergoes his passion? Moses 
and Elijah. See, these men thought they knew Moses. They didn't know Moses. Jesus did. It's amazing how blinded people can become to the truth, how they can miss it. Jesus said, you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The answer was standing in front of them, and they missed it. The man answered, now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly man who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. Well said. It's an astounding miracle. Maybe you should be quiet. Maybe you should listen. Maybe you should follow. Maybe you should believe. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this reply, they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. And so he had acknowledged Jesus is the Christ. And what did they do? They threw him out. But I would say it was well worth it because now he could see. Verse 35, Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. When he found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me, so I may believe in him. Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. The man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Jesus said, for judgment I have come into this world, so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, what? Are we blind too? Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. The Messiah, the Son of God, the one who was to come, was standing in front of them. They missed it. Jesus often quoted Isaiah, have eyes to see and ears to hear. How many people miss it because they're not in church on the day? It's their message with their answer. How many people miss it because they're, they're in church, but they're, they're not listening? They're not studying. They're not studying themselves to show themselves approved unto God. Their answer was there right in front of them, and they missed it. Did not matter how great the miracle it was. Didn't matter how many miracles Jesus did. They still did not believe. And so Jesus told them, your guilt remains. But what about the blind man who had been healed? First, he referred to Jesus as the man they called Jesus. Then he called Jesus a prophet. Then he referred to Jesus as one sent from God. And finally he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Faith takes action now to change your life for the better. He went, he washed, he came home saying, it's wonderful, it's wonderful. It is an astounding miracle. But what good are your physical eyes if you spend eternity in hell? And every one of those religious leaders that did not believe, there were some who believed, like Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea, but every one of those religious leaders who did not believe they were born into the right family, 
They were born into privilege. They had wealth and education and influence in their culture and the society. People looked up to them. They respected them. They, they followed them. They could see and they went to hell because the answer was standing in front of them and they did not believe and they did not do. Jesus said in Matthew 18, verse 9, if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. The man went, he washed, he came home saying, it's wonderful. It is an astounding miracle. But more important, later, the man who had been healed said to Jesus, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped Jesus. Jesus, he is the answer. And he is still saving today. He is still healing today. He is still setting the captives free today. He is still delivering today. And you can have it all. You can be saved. You can be a part of the family of God. You can have the victory in every area of life. But it begins by doing what this man did. Lord, I believe and he he worshiped him there's coming a day no matter what we do for the lord whether we get an a an a minus a b plus see in revelation that there's a day coming when we will stand before him and we will lay every crown every reward down before him and we will kneel and worship the religious leaders were all about the day and this and that and all these extra rules, but the Sabbath was always about putting God first. And he was there, standing in front of him. And all they had to do was say, Lord, I believe and worship him. Lord, I believe, and then start putting him first. And that's the answer. You might say, Austin, what's the answer in my finances? Put the Lord first. What's the answer in getting the victory in my physical body? Put the Lord first. What's the answer in my marriage, my home, my family, my child raising, my parenting? Put the Lord first. Put the Lord first. Worship him in everything you do. And you'll begin to walk in his best. Please bow your heads. You might be here today and perhaps you have never done what this man did. You have never said unto the Lord Jesus Christ, I believe. He loves you. He was born on your behalf. He gave, he laid down his life for you. The Bible says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. He is the way, the truth, and the life. We live in a time where there's the lie that if we're just kind of good enough, that's sufficient. There's the lie that we can come up with our own path to God. There, there's the lie that everyone's going to end up in heaven. Those are all lies. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. If you're here today and say, Austin, I want to ask Jesus into my heart. I want to make him the Lord and Savior of my life. I want to tell him that I believe. That's you this morning, wherever 
you're seated, raise your hand to where I'll sit and I'll know. You want me to pray with Say, Austin, pray with me. I want to give my life to the Lord Jesus. You might also be here and at a time in your life, you prayed a prayer, you walked an aisle, but you, you know you've not been living for God. You've not been putting him first. You've been doing your own thing. And you have paid a price. And I'm gonna challenge you to do what that man did. He, he worshiped him. That's putting him first. That's setting self aside, setting everything else aside and putting God first in your life. That's what having one day a week set aside is all about, putting God first above everything else. You're here today and say, Austin, I need to recommit my life. I need to make things right with God before I go. If that's you wherever you're seated, raise your hand to where I'll sit and know you want me to pray with you. Say, Austin, pray with me. I want to recommit. Okay. Come join me at the front. We're going to pray. If you raised your hand, bring your Bible, whatever you brought with you, we're going to pray. Maybe, maybe you didn't raise your hand, but the Lord is dealing with your heart. Come join us here at the front. We're going to pray. Can you come? Bless you. Repeat this after me. Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father I, repent of my sins, I repent of my sins and I surrender, and I surrender my, life my life unto you. Unto you. Thank, you Thank, for saving me. Thank you for saving me. Thank you, Thank you for setting me free, setting me free of, anything of anything that would hinder me in living for you. I love you. And from this day forward, I will live for you with all my heart. Thank you for filling me with your spirit and empowering me to do so. In Jesus' name, amen. Bless you. Cameron will be a blessing and encouragement to you and get you right back in the service. He's good. He's wonderful, Amen. And you might say, Austin, I told somebody about his blessings. They weren't too happy to hear about it. Tell somebody else. Amen. Read the parable of the soil. There, there's all kinds of soil. And Paul told Timothy, God wants all men, all people, all men and women to be saved. It doesn't mean that everyone will, but I do believe this. Everybody ought to have the opportunity. Everybody ought to have the opportunity. And some of us, we deserve a second opportunity, a third opportunity, a fourth opportunity. Amen. You might say, I've given relative so-and-so a dozen opportunities. Well, tell somebody else. Amen. But we ought to be busy about telling people about the goodness of God. It is his goodness that draws men and women to repentance. Amen.